grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters. Amen. I've learned since moving to Long Island a year and a half ago to make sure that a right turn on red is legal at any particular intersection. In Wisconsin, where our family last lived, it's pretty rare that right on red isn't permitted here. I'm sure you all are aware, it's much more common. And in the city, you also probably already know this, right on red is illegal unless expressly permitted. Driving is one of those interesting tasks that we can perform without really thinking about it. It's complex, there are a lot of variables, but once you, once you have those, those motor skills, you're able to really click into an, uh, an autopilot sort of mode. And this is why we need to be careful when we travel somewhere with different road rules. We wouldn't want to be absent-mindedly driving on the wrong side of the road in England. I had an experience with this a few years ago. Uh, when I taught high school Spanish, I took a group of my students on a week-long trip down to our church network's mission congregation in Mawal, Mexico, where we helped with a summer kids event. We landed in Cancun, and we drove about five hours south to Mawal. I had to adjust to two things while driving there. One, their driving was much more informal. They didn't quote-unquote follow the rules, right? A road with two painted lanes might have three lanes of traffic, and turn signals were not regularly used. But, two, the speed limit was much lower than I was used to. And I was actually pulled over by the highway patrol for a warning, because I was driving at a speed appropriate for an American interstate, but a speed beyond the appropriate rate there. And this combination worked for them. Informal driving suited the nature of the roads in the more remote areas there, and those lower speeds kept that informal driving from becoming dangerous. This is our last week in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, our last week considering the culture shock we feel as we compare life in his kingdom, in the church, to life outside, to the world we walk around in daily. And in this last section we're considering, Jesus tells his disciples that the speed limit is much lower here. It is easier to break the law in Jesus' kingdom than it is outside. Jesus teaches us today how we ought to look at ourselves and our actions, what the proper standard is against which we ought to measure ourselves. A number of times he said to the crowd listening, we heard this, You have heard that it was said. The people listening to him had heard other religious teachers before. They were familiar with what the Bible said. They had heard it explained. But Jesus tells them what they'd heard before was lacking. And so he still says each time, but I tell you. They had been told that the speed limit was a certain level, Jesus wants them to understand it's much lower. Breaking the law is much easier than they thought. His first example is given in verse 21 when he says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Murder is wrong. For you to murder is for you to defy God's will for your life. He does not wish for you to murder. There are some people entrusted with what the Bible calls the power of the sword. Police officers, soldiers, executioners all serve a good purpose in the world when they wield the power of the sword to protect the innocent and to punish the guilty. But even they can overstep the bounds of this command. I was recently asked to be a character reference for someone applying to the police academy, and I was asked, do I trust that this person could handle lethal force appropriately? It is important that those entrusted with such power wield it well. I wouldn't want to be a police officer. I wouldn't want to make that call, because human life this word from God tells us is a holy and precious thing. As Christians, we are rightly concerned for the life of all. While we thank God for those who protect us, police officers, military, we hold them to a high standard regarding this command. 
and we also rightly advocate for the recognition of the life of children in the womb. To abort a child is to take from that person the life which God gave them. And the teachers whom the people had heard teach on this command did go even further than this, right? They taught that to physically harm someone else, fatally or not, violates this command as well. As Jesus preached to the people, it's not as if they thought, okay, murder, like causing the actual death of someone is the one wrong thing, but maybe I could go beat the snot out of my neighbor guiltlessly. No, they, they were aware that this command prohibited both those things. So Jesus doesn't tell the people, what you heard was incorrect. Murder is okay. Violence is okay. No, he tells them that what they had heard was lacking. But I tell you, he says, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. The speed limit is lower here. Jesus includes in murder all the emotions we feel towards someone we can't stand. The Greek word here for feeling anger, or gidzo, has this idea of indignation. Anger that comes from feeling unfairly treated or disrespected. And in the Greek here, the way this word is used means more than feeling disrespected in one particular situation, right? Jesus here describes someone who can only look at another person with the thought, that person has disrespected me. That person has pushed me and provoked me. If there's someone we can't easily look in the eyes, right, someone who sends our blood pressure up as soon as their mouth opens, Jesus tells us frankly here, our attitude toward that person is murder. Whether it bubbles over into angry speech or not, as Jesus describes in the next verses, we stand liable before God. Jesus knows this happens to us very easily. And so right away he says, verse 23, if you have someone who can make this claim against you, take that seriously. Deal with it. We'll come back to what Jesus says in those verses. First, we'll look at the other examples he gives. But for now, see that right after this first example, he sidetracks before giving any others because he knows each of us can connect to that first example. Each of us has hated in that way. Each of us has allowed wounded pride to poison a relationship. The next example he gives of the low speed limit in his kingdom, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. The God who made us has a particular design for human sexuality. It's made for the marriage relationship. And so all of his will regarding human sexuality is contained in the prohibition of abortion. Because marriage, this special one man, one woman relationship instituted at the beginning of the world, that is the one place appropriate for sexual activity. These people knew that. But Jesus tells them the speed limit is still lower than you realize. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. The phrase translated lustfully literally means because he wants her. He desires her. It's not sinful to look at someone and to note that they are attractive. It is sinful to want with that person what God has not permitted you to have with that person. There are lots of things which stop short of formal adultery. Sitting alone with pornography on a computer or a phone. Carrying on an emotional affair to find something outside of an unsatisfying marriage. Things which stop short of the letter of the law here, but not its spirit. The speed limit is low. Jesus gives another example. This is a natural progression. It's divorce. And here... It's interesting. It almost sounds like the speed limit is set high, right? Jesus says that divorce, save in cases of sexual infidelity, is wrong. Wow, we might be shocked. You mean I can sin in all kinds of ways and only cheating is so bad that it ends my marriage? No, this is not Jesus' point. 
It is not the other sins you could commit in marriage on which he wants to focus. It is divorce itself. God hates divorce, he clearly states in scripture. To divorce is never God's plan for a marriage. A divorce can only come about in circumstances which have already transgressed his law. Jesus gives the example of sexual unfaithfulness, which can destroy the trust necessary in marriage. Jesus' own mother, Mary, was nearly divorced by Joseph when Joseph thought that Mary had cheated on him and conceived Jesus. Right? Scripture does not contem condemn Joseph for planning to do so. Scripture calls him a righteous man because he intended to handle it quietly and graciously, without vindictiveness. Of course, the angel's message regarding Mary's pregnancy uh, cleared things up for Joseph. So this then is Jesus' point. God never winks at divorce. God never gives the impression he is unconcerned. He calls on us to slow down. In a culture where people divorce because oh, the kids are in college now and we realize we've drifted apart. The love isn't there like it was. He calls on us instead to see the importance and the sacredness of the marriage bond to slow down and not make hasty and worldly decisions to drive at a slow speed limit. His last example in this text, verses 34 and 37. Do not swear an oath at all. All you need to do is simply say yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Rather than trying to impress people with strong oaths, oh, I swear I'll get that done. We ought simply to be people who mean what we say, who have integrity, who are dependable. We are to be this way because this is the way God is with us. Not one of his promises has ever fallen to the ground. Since we are, by the Spirit, called to be like him, we too need to be people of our word. Again, we are being shown a very low speed limit. If people cannot count on our yeses and nos, Jesus calls that a product, not of his Spirit, but of the devil. What plans do we cancel on? What promises do we leave unfulfilled? What friends do we leave hanging? We are more sinful than we realize. We too easily say yes without the real intent to follow through because it's easier than saying no in the moment. This is from the evil one, Jesus says. His speed limit is set low. So we cannot expect to live in his kingdom without adjusting our driving. As the psalm we sang this morning says, God has laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. So let's go back to this portion I mentioned earlier, verse 23. If you are offering your gift at the altar... And remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there. So I remember a particular Bible study one Sunday in my first few months here. This verse came up. I asked, what do you understand this to mean? And someone answered, well, we need to understand that people might sin against us. And we need to be ready to forgive them. That is a true statement. It is not what this verse says. This verse does not say, forgive people who sin against you. This verse says, you sinner, need to swallow your pride and ask to be forgiven by those you've hurt. It is so easy for us to miss that. It is so easy for us to take everything Jesus has said here and to use it as a magnifying glass with which we'll examine others. Christ has no interest in you doing such a thing, you proud rebel. What will that profit you? You should mind your own business, the Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians. Do not turn Christ's words into a magnifying glass, but use them as a mirror and look at it. See the indignation which poisons your heart. See the lust which turns others into objects in your eyes. See your devilish unreliability. See it and leave, Jesus says. Do not come before his altar. Or at least, not yet. Here's the last element of culture shock we'll see in this series. Verse 24. 
First, go and be rec reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. This is the ultimate difference between Jesus' kingdom and the world. Here, reconciliation happens. Here, because the law's mirror shows us that we are all sinners, there is no need to put up a front. There is no reason to not ask for forgiveness. Are you not a sinner? If you're sitting here, and what I've said this morning has made any kind of sense to you, then you know you are. So kill your pride with these words of Christ. Go and be reconciled. He makes you a promise as to what will happen between you and those who are your brothers and sisters in him. There will be reconciliation. Such is his promise, and his promises never fall to the ground. His yes is always yes. For it is guaranteed by the blood he spilled to wash you white as snow. Amen.